Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. The year 1862, the Confederate States of America, the Southern Army, under the leadership of Robert E. Lee, had just defeated the Northern Army at the Second Battle of Bull Run, a small creek in Northern Virginia. President Lincoln had just replaced the lead general of the North with General George McClellan. September 4th, the South crossed into Northern Territory, into Maryland. Their goal was to cut Washington, D.C. off from the rest of the North. England and France are close to recognizing the Confederate States as its own nation, protecting their interests in the cotton that they used in their textile industries. The South, to this point, has had a good run of victories in the Civil War. But winter, being September, winter is fast approaching, and supplies are short. Food, clothing, shoes, artillery are all short. With harvest near, many have their minds on the farm back home. So, Robert E. Lee held a high-level meeting with his most senior officers to plan their next initiative. The plan, now that they had just come into Maryland, was to split their forces into two. Thomas Jackson, known as Stonewall Jackson, would take half west towards Harper's Ferry, which is on the Shenandoah River along where Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia meet. There, they would hit upon the munitions depot, seize some supplies, take their ammunition, and take the rest of the garrison there prisoner. Robert E. Lee would take the rest east through Hagerstown, Maryland, and meet up with Jackson later in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where they would destroy the rail lines there and further limit the effectiveness of the north. At the time, this was a time of harvest, at the time when the South was on a winning streak of battles, their goal was to win this key border state, gain further international credibility, and destroy the North's will to fight. The plans were thoroughly dictated, and official copies were made for all of the key generals. General Jackson then made a copy from his copy for his top report to General A.P. Hill. What Jackson didn't know at the time was that Hill had been provided with an original copy from Robert E. Lee. What happened from there, no one is really sure. But over the course of time, research has discovered that the extra copy of the plan, Special Order Number 191, landed in the hands of one of A.P. Hill's direct reports, who lost it. It seems he was probably more concerned with activities that Saturday night in town than going back and retracing his steps and finding where he had lost this special report. And because all of the generals who had to have copies had copies, no one really knew that there was an extra copy made. Everyone who needed one, everyone who was supposed to have one, had a copy. A couple of days later, after the Confederate Army had departed the area, 
had split into two and gone their ways towards Hagerstown and towards Harper's Ferry, the 27th Indiana Regiment from the Northern Army was coming through the area. A private by the name of Barton Mitchell discovered a clump of paper on the ground that contained three cigars. The paper he discovered to be very important. It contained the plans of the Confederate Army. And within two and a half hours, these plans were in the hands of General George McClellan. From there, what resulted was the bloodiest day in American history, even to this very day. The single most bloody day in American history. The Union Army knew what the Confederate Army's plans were, and they were ready. 22,717 American soldiers from the North and the South, they were battling each other, so they were all Americans, were either killed, wounded, captured, or missing. The Battle of Antietam ended up being a numerical draw, but it took the wind out of the sails of the South and was the turning point in the Civil War. The war continued on for two and a half more years or so before they, they ceded the war, before Robert E. Lee signed over and, and ceded the war. But the South never really did recover from this loss, what they considered to be a loss. A numerical draw, but they should have won. They had the, the perfect plan in place. The story behind the battle was one that I learned about many years ago while attending the Feast of Tabernacles down in Hagerstown, Maryland. We toured the area, toured the Civil War battle sites, the, the graveyard. It was, a, it was a chilling, chilling to realize how many people died at that field and on that very day and learned a, a very intriguing part about American history. Well, let's consider, if you would, some what-if questions. What if those orders had not been found? What if those orders had not been found? What if, rather than McClellan getting a copy of Lee's orders, what if Lee had discovered a copy of McClellan's orders? What if General Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, knew that Lee had included Hill in his list of generals who had been provided original copies and simply didn't make up another copy? There was no need for one. What if Jackson's troops, when they had gone west into Harper's Ferry, hadn't been bogged down through the process of processing these prisoners and they weren't delayed in their arrival to Antietam. They, they ended up, that half of the, the, the army ended up coming in right near the end of the battle when, once things were well in hand. What if General Lee had succeeded in destroy the, destroying the rail lines as planned and had cut off Washington from the rest of the North and his, his plans had been continued to succeed? What if England and France had gone ahead and recognized the Confederate South, the Confederate States of America, as its own country, and lend, lending credence to their mission? What if Private Mitchell only wanted the cigars and didn't even take notice that this was a lost order? What if Private Mitchell's parents had never taught him to read? Thus, which was not uncommon in those days, many didn't know how to read. What if he didn't know how to read he wouldn't have even known what it was. He would have just found the cigars and tossed the paper away. The course of a great struggle in history and the bloodiest day in American history turned on several choices made by very average people and the consequences of their actions. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on our message of hope that we have. During that message, we spent, we reviewed 
the messages of these first few months that we have had here, preparing, laying the foundation for this congregation. We reviewed the messages, showed how they, with God's divine inspiration and planning, had been interwoven together as a step-by-step explanation of the type of congregation God, we feel, God wants here. For those of you who've been able to participate in, watch, or help conduct youth studies, you'll notice a theme as we take the youth through the scriptures. So far we've come from creation to the, all the way through the, uh, uh, the beginning part of the Bible into the, and now the last two weeks in the, king, the northern kings and the southern kings of Judah. The theme has been prevalent. So I would like to examine one of the Bible's key themes this afternoon. If there's one lesson that runs cover to cover throughout the Bible that connects each of the stories, all of the law, all of the history, all of the inspiration, all of the gospel, all of the prophecies, it is this. Life is a series of choices, and history is the consequence of these choices. It's my opinion that you could read through the Bible and note in most, if not all the stories, that choices and consequences is an underlying theme throughout. When bad choices are made, bad consequences result. When good choices are made, good consequences result. Sounds simple, but we've spent 6,000 years repeating the same mistakes. So this afternoon, let's take a cursory reading through the Bible and note this very powerful lesson. Life is all about our choices and their consequences. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Back to very close to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. And we won't take time to read the stories that we're going to touch on in full. We don't simply don't have the time for that. But we'll jump in context. This obviously is discussing the temptation, the serpent's temptation, and man's initial fall. We'll pick it up in verse 6. Let's go back a little bit here to start. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, and Brother Larry referred back to this in his sermonette, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So having now all that as a premise, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Choices. They chose to eat. What we see in the ensuing verses, starting in verse 14, are the consequences. God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and you shall bruise his head, and he shall bruise, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. 
and pain shall you bring forth children, and you shall desire for your husband, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then Adam said to him, then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles that shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, from out of it you were taken, and from for dust you are unto dust, you shall return. Consequences clearly defined by God. Interestingly enough, as a side note, the two things God the two commands God gave man at the very beginning were to take care of the creation, take care of the earth, and to multiply and produce produce children. Here, the desired the consequences of their actions, he wasn't changing his expectations, he was just going to make it harder. The woman would have to go through child labor and, and, and travail to give birth. They would still have their still command is still to multiply and produce children. And the taking care of the earth would be a little more difficult with all the weeds and tears that were going to result. So again, consequences to their actions. Continuing, verse 22. Then God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out of his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Choices and consequences. Sometimes, as in this case, the consequences of our actions can affect others besides ourselves. We didn't eat the fruit. We didn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we're certainly paying for it to this day. Here Adam and Eve made a decision that affected every single member of the human race. Some consequences of our actions are that far-reaching. What if, what if Adam had refused to eat the fruit? What if? Something to ponder. Perhaps for Speaker's Corner, something to ponder. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 3. We'll pick it up in verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Choices. Again, everywhere we look, when we break things down, choices. Cain brought fruit of the ground. Abel bought one of the first things of his flock. Both choosing to give an offering to God, this was their choice. And the Lord respected Abel and his offerings, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Consequences and choices. The choice to bring the offering, the consequence, one was praised and blessed, one was was God knew the heart, and God was not pleased with the second. Those were the consequences. So now the one with whom God wasn't pleased had a choice. And his choice was his countenance fell. So the Lord God said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? And here he now goes into explaining one of life's simplest rules. Choices and consequences. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well... 
Sin lies at the door, and it's desire for you, but you shall rule over it. If you make a good choice, you'll do well, right? If you make a bad choice, what else would you expect but bad consequences? God, from the very beginning, explains this very simple life lesson to Cain. What if, what if Cain had repented after God's warning? What if he had repented? Food for thought. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Verse 9. Now we're going to look at a good choice. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. What is that? A choice. Noah walked with God. The word perfect, of course, Hebrews from Strong's number 8549, tamim, tamim, means whole, upright, or perfect, or without blemish. Now we know, of course, that Noah wasn't perfect. He was a human being. He wasn't perfect in terms of sin. But one part of the definition of Strong's lends insight to the use of this word. Entirety, sorry, entirely in accord with truth. So he was, even though he was a human being who sinned and made mistakes, his heart was entirely in accord with God's truth. Therefore, he was, he was considered righteous, he was considered perfect, and he chose to walk with God. That was a choice that he made. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all of your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Because. Because is the consequence of Noah's choice to walk with God, to be entirely in accord with truth. Salvation for future generations of mankind because Noah chose to walk with God. Again, Far-reaching consequences because of the choice of one man. Just like far-reaching consequences because of the choice of one man, Adam, to eat of the wrong tree. Far-reaching consequences long after Noah was dead and buried. Genesis chapter 37. Let's go to another story. Now we're skipping over. The Abrahamic covenant and Isaac, there are choices in there too. Every, as you do your Bible study and do your, your reading of, of, the, of the Bible, try to pay attention to choices and consequences. Try to, to notice that all of Scripture has choices and consequences. Genesis 37. Just to set the stage here, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, so we now come upon the life of Joseph as he is a 17-year-old young man. We won't take time to go through chapter 37, but it talks about being sold into slavery by his brothers. We know that story where they, they uh, killed the animal and put blood on his coat and took it back and tricked their father into thinking that he was sick or he had, he had died and been killed by an animal. He had sold him into slavery to that caravan passing through 
a choice, again, made by his brothers to sell him into slavery. Forward into chapter 39, he's now in Egypt and has come under the, the employ of Potiphar, an officer in Pharaoh's army. We pick it up in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of the master of the Egyptians. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Consequences of Joseph's earlier actions. God had taken care of him. Because Joseph chose to do the right thing. Some actions that we know about, many others we obviously don't. But God had chosen to take care of him here. And we see those consequences. Drop down to verse 8. We know that Potiphar's wife had propositioned him. And Joseph in verse 8, he refused, saying to the master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in, his, in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph makes a choice. He chooses to do right. He chooses not, to, not only not to sin against Potiphar, but not to sin against God. Dropping down, verse 19, so it was. When his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did this did to me after this manner, we recall that she, upon being refused, she set up Joseph. And it looked like he had committed a crime. Your servant did this to me after this manner, and his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master Potiphar took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. A consequence. Here we have a bad consequence. For a good choice. So you can imagine Joseph rightfully could have been thinking, where are the good consequences for my good choices? Why is this happening to me, even though I've made all the right choices? I could have made the wrong choice and had the same consequence that I have now. So why choose why why should I have chosen the good the good choice and had a bad consequence? But some consequences are not so immediate. Chapter 41 of Genesis, following through, passing up some details of the story here, where we get through the, where he interpreted some of the dreams of the Pharaoh, dropping down to verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old at this point when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So 13 years had passed from the time his brothers had sold him into slavery. He had come under the tutelage of Potiphar. He had spent time in prison. He was now 30 years old. And he becomes governor of Egypt. But it took 13 years, 13 years of odd, oddly bad consequences for all his good choices. We now see, we, take, we see here to, to save time and go through the story quickly, the seven good years of plenty. He proceeds through the seven good years of plenty. We're now at 20 years have passed since this had happened since he had been sold into slavery. Looking forward to chapter 45. 
course, to fill in the back the background. We're now into the times of the famine. Jacob had sent his brothers down to Egypt. He had heard there was plenty of food in Egypt. They had this governor that was taking care of things down in Egypt. Didn't know it was his son at the time. And go down and get some food. Joseph, recognizing his brothers, performs a couple of tricks on them to try to get his father and his, his younger brother down. And now we come to the part where Joseph gets to reveal himself to his brothers. We pick it up in verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God did this. He understood consequences. It took, the next verse says, for these two years the famine have been in the land. We now add that up. He's now 39 years old. It had been 22 years since he had been sold into slavery. And Joseph understood now that it wasn't the bad consequences of being thrown in jail. That was really what the, the reward for his good choices were. It was this. 22 years later, he gets to save his nation. It took 22 years. Some consequences are not so immediate for our choices. And here we continue on. He explains all of these these results of choices and consequences to his brother. Pick it up again in verse 5. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So that was not you who sent me here. It wasn't your choice that I got put sold into slavery. It was God's choice that I got put into slavery. So God's choice, God's consequences. It took 22 years to figure out, and I'm sure a lot of stress and anxiety and, and hurt and anger, but after 22 years he figured it out, that this was God's choice and God's consequences. So it's not for you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord over all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Some consequences are not so immediate. But the consequences will always happen. Consequences are a natural result of choice. Judges 21. We'll quickly review a few things that we've covered over the last number of weeks from our youth studies. Again, we could go through all of Israel and look at choices and consequences. We certainly don't have time to do that. Judges 21. We'll simply read verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. An odd ending to a book but here the ending the last verse describes the choice that the consequences for all the previous chapters describe God goes through through all of these stories of the judges the up and the down of Israel and being saved by these judges and here he gives us the reason why these people just did what seemed right in their own eyes They didn't choose to follow God. They didn't choose to be entirely in accord with truth as Noah did. He chose to do whatever felt right. And the result? Hundreds of years 
as described in the book of Judges, of bad consequences because of bad choices. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. We covered this last time in the youth study. First one, First Kings 11. We discussed this regarding the northern tribes today. Sister Olivia covered the southern tribes, the southern kings, I mean, sorry. Here is the northern kings. And we see more choice. King Solomon, the man who had everything, who chose wisdom initially, and then from wisdom received everything else, broke one rule. He made one bad choice. There were several bad choices involved in this one bad choice. But King Solomon in verse 1 loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Now remember that King Solomon, to be king, according to the law in Deuteronomy 17, had to have written out the law. He had to take a copy, and he hand-wrote a copy of the law. It was, it was a prerequisite for being a king. So it's not like he didn't know that this existed. This, this law that is read for us here again in, in verse 2, about not intermar- intermarrying with women, of, uh, women from other nations who, who worship foreign gods, he knew, but he made a choice. He caved to his, his personal desires, his inner desires. He had everything, so surely he could handle this. And we see the results. Verse 9, drop down to verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, a consequence, because his heart had turned from the God, Lord God of Israel, who had, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. So not only did he write it out at least once, but God appeared to him twice. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my commandment and my statutes, there's that word because, because introduces the consequence, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, For the sake of your father David. There are a whole bunch of choices and consequences in this little verse. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David. And for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. So Solomon chooses to make a wrong choice. To go after women who worship foreign gods. And allow that to infiltrate Israel. So God chooses... The consequence of which, which is God's choice, to tear the kingdom away from Solomon. But because David made good choices, the consequence was going to be delayed a little bit. And then, not even complete, just as a favor to David, because David was a man after God's own heart. Because David chose to follow God, he would leave them with one tribe. We then... As you will recall, young people talked about Jeroboam 
And God, later on in verse, verse 11, you look in verse 38, then it shall be, then it shall be, this is to Jeroboam, who is a, a servant in the army of Solomon. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, and walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, if you make a choice, if you make a good choice, just as my servant David did, then I, then the consequence, that I will be with you, and I will build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. Jeroboam, who had no birthright in any of this, all he had to do was obey God. All he had to do was make a good choice. And Israel would be his. It would all be his. And what develops later is he makes wrong choices. He's up in Assyria. He gets a little afraid that if we send, if we follow God's law and send them all down into Jerusalem to celebrate the holy days, they might start getting good feelings about what it used to be like to try to reconnect with their their southern brethren. And maybe I'm going to lose a little control and lose a little power. So he creates a false system of worship where God doesn't want. He makes a bad choice and God then rips it out of his hand and we see the results. Matthew chapter 22. We'll leave the historical pages of the Hebrew scriptures and go to Matthew chapter 22. And look at the parable of the wedding feast picturing the kingdom of God. Matthew 22. And Jesus answered verse 1 and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the weddings and they were not willing to come. By now we should all know a choice. These people had this invitation and they chose not to come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. I'm not going to accept your bad choice. I'm going to offer it again. But they made light of it. Not only did they say no, they now made fun of it. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. More choices. They made light of it. They went their way. They attended to their own personal affairs. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So those who didn't go their own way now started to physically harm these servants. And when the king heard about it, what was the consequence? He was furious. Again, choices and consequences. Refusing the invitation, then making light of it, and hurting those servants garnered the consequence of the king's fury. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all whom they had found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Again, more choices and more consequences. They're not going to come. Go invite some others. Let's fill this hall. Go invite, go invite the others. It was going to be for these people. They chose not to. So now let's go invite everybody else. Those people accepted. Choices. And the result? 
The wedding hall was filled. Choices and consequences, choices and consequences. But when the king, verse 11, came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to him, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Again, choices, it sounds like a broken record like that. Choices and consequences. Our place in God's kingdom is dependent upon choices we make. God wants us in his kingdom, but we, we have to act like we want to be there. We have to make the choices that show God we want to be there. We cannot take it lightly, make light of it, attend our own affairs until our deathbed, where we then come to our senses and realize, okay, I, 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 that's it, and I've got to make the choice now. We have to accept the invitation and act like we want to be in the room. Time after time, it seems like Satan or man tries to derail God's plan. This is when God needs to make choices, his choices, to ensure that his plan stays on course. Because God's choices always have the most predictable of circumstances. When God, we know when God says something, he will do it. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. There's an interesting passage here in Isaiah 55. Where God fully outlines what will happen when we make good choices. Much like the invitation to the wedding feast that we read about in Matthew 22, we see another invitation, starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Again, an opportunity to make a choice. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed I have given him as a witness to the people. A leader of the commander of the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Again, consequences of being part of the nation that God has chosen to glorify. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Again, choices. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return to them, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may see, give seed to the sower and bread to the water. Bread to the eater, sorry. So reading all of that leads up to verse 11. God here clearly defining his way of life, clearly defining the consequences if we choose to follow him. But here's the interesting part. 
Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's way will happen. We are assured of that. Our choice is to be part of it, or not to be part of it. But God's way, God's way will happen. He clearly defined what it, w- what it will be like if we do make that choice. But he ends it by saying, I will accomplish what I please. It will happen. Our choice, part of it, or not part of it. That's the choice we have to make. But the desired consequences will result. Because God assures it. Let's review quickly review some of God's other choices. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God chose to send his son as an opportunity for salvation for all of mankind. Forward a couple of pages to verse chapter 6. Again, we'll rifle through a few of these fairly quickly. Again, another very famous scripture, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. God chooses who he calls, and he chooses when he calls. Again, choices that God makes. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Not only does God choose whom he calls and when he calls them, but verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. He chooses when he will send his son back a second time. Matthew chapter 6. Again, rifling through it a little quickly here. into the context of the model prayer verse 12 says and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors God chooses not only to forgive us but how to forgive us he chooses to forgive us if we repent and if we if we offer the same forgiveness to others so the consequence is our desired forgiveness is it amounts to two choices that we have to make repenting and forgiving others and if we do those two things Truly and heartfeltly, we don't have to worry. God's consequence is clear. He will forgive us. But it results, again, back to choices that we make. Choices that we make. God's actions and our part in those actions, more specifically, all depend on choices we make. God's actions are clear. God's consequences are clear. Our ability to participate in them is simply our choice. John 14. 
And again, he doesn't leave us high and dry trying to figure these things out on our own. John chapter 14. Verse 15. Let's pick it up in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. These if and then statements are again choices and consequences. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it nearly sees it nor knows it, but you know it, for it dwells with you and will be with you. And I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. He chooses to put his spirit into us to help us make the right choices, to give us the wisdom, the courage, the wherewithal, to not only understand that we have a choice, but to give us the ability to make those right choices, to, to change the, t- the tide of time that Solomon who had everything and just couldn't make the right choice because he had everything. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us make the right choices, to help us choose to forgive, to help us to choose to walk his way, to help us choose to put on good character. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the myriad of examples in Scripture that prove to us the link between choices and consequences. I'm sure during Speaker's Corner, you'll come up with any number of other examples I could have used. Let's, as we draw this to a conclusion, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And the number of times we read that we have choices to make and the blatant consequences, whether good or bad, is... is it is hard to believe how we all could have made so many and continue to make bad choices in our lives with the examples that are in Scripture that, that tell us otherwise. But again, we're all humans and we rely on the saving grace of our God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when all of these things come upon you. And we've just, it has just kind of reiterated the blessings and the cursings from that chapter 28. And again, by, as a way of reminder and background, this is the second generation of Israelites that have... Uh, were under 21 upon the exiting of Egypt and have, are now uh, either second or third generations. They're, the original generation has died off. They're about to cross over into the promised land. And Moses, before he dies, is reviewing all of the law here in this book of Deuteronomy. So now it shall come to pass, when all of these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, the choices, the two choices, the blessings and the cursings that I have I've made evident right before you. And you, call, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice when you make the right choice. In other words, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, the consequence of, of doing that, making that right choice, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you make the right choice, I will bring you back, he says. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. The circumcision of the heart was God's original intent. It always was. But they didn't make the right choice. But he offers that choice. 
And he, he clearly again says, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've delineated it for you. Here they are. Dropping down to verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and death. Life and good, sorry, death and evil. Two choices. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, to make the right choice. Choose life and good. That, the consequence, you may live and multiply. And that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. If you choose this, you'll have lots of children, lots of family, and I will bless you. But, if you choose this way, if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today so that there is no question, you shall surely die. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. You have a choice. The choices are clear. I now call, God says, the two witnesses, in effect. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Make the right choice, he says, so that you and your descendants may live. Choices and consequences. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Life is full of ups and downs, as we're all aware. God has left us with a blueprint from which to make our choices. He's also been very clear as to the consequences of our choices. And these aren't just the big choices. These just aren't the decision to follow God, to be baptized. These are the little choices that we make every day of our lives, from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. Everything we do, every step we make is a choice. We have a choice to do the right, or we can choose to serve ourselves, to satisfy our own desires. But when the time comes to account for that, there will be no excuse that we didn't know what the consequences were. Because God has spent 6,000 years telling us what it was and what they will be. He's been very clear as to the consequences of our choices. The path is well lit from our birth on this earth to birth into his kingdom. That path is clear. It is well lit. We know exactly the way to go. But he always leaves us with the choice. The lesson from the Bible is this. Right choices lead to life. Eternal life in his kingdom. Jerry was the type of guy you loved to hate. He was always in a good mood. He always had something positive to say. When someone would ask him how he was doing, he would reply, if I were any better, I would be twins. He was a unique manager because he, he had several waiters who had followed him around from restaurant to restaurant. People loved to work for Jerry. The reason the waiters followed Jerry was because of his attitude. He was a natural motivator. If an employee was having a bad day, Jerry was there telling the employee how to look on the positive side of the situation. Seeing this style made the writer of this article curious. So one day, he went up to Jerry and asked him, how can you be such a positive person all the time? I don't get it. How do you do it? 
Jerry replied, each morning I wake up and say to myself, Jerry, you have two choices. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. I choose, Jerry says, to be in a good mood. Each time something bad happens, I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to learn from it. I choose to learn from it. Every time someone comes to me complaining, I can choose to accept their complaining or I can point out the positive side of life. I choose the positive side of life. Yeah, come on, it's not that easy, the writer says. Yes, it is, Jerry said. Life is all about choices. When you cut away all the junk, he says, every situation is a choice. You choose how you react to certain situations. You choose how people will affect your mood. You choose how to be or whether you will be in a good mood or a bad mood. The bottom line, it's your choice how you live your life. The writer goes on to say that he reflected on what Jerry said. And soon thereafter, I left the restaurant industry to start my own business. We lost touch, but I often thought about him when I made a choice about life instead of reacting to it. Several years later, he had heard that Jerry did something you were never supposed to do in the restaurant business. He left the back door open one morning and was held up at gunpoint by three armed robbers. While trying to open the safe, his hand, shaking from nervousness, slipped off the combination. The robbers panicked and shot him. Luckily, Jerry was found relatively quickly and rushed to the local trauma center. After 18 hours of surgery and weeks of intensive care, Jerry was released from the hospital with fragments of bullets still in his body. I saw Jerry, the writer continues to say, about six months after the accident. When I asked him how he was, he replied, if I were any better, I would be twins. Want to see my scars? I declined to see his wounds, but did ask him what had, got him through, what had gone through his mind as the robbery took place. The first thing that went through my mind was that it should have locked the back door. Then, as I lay on the floor, I remembered I had two choices. I could choose to live, or I could choose to die. I chose to live. The writer asked him, were you scared, or did you lose unconsciousness, or did you lose consciousness? Jerry continued, the paramedics were great. They kept telling me I was going to be fine. But when they wheeled me into the emergency room and saw the expressions on the faces of the doctors and the nurses, I got scared. In their eyes, I read, I'm a dead man. So I knew I had to take action. What did you do? I asked. Well, there was this big, burly nurse shouting questions at me, said Jerry. She asked if I was allergic to anything, and I replied, yes. The doctors and nurses stopped working as they waited for me to reply. I took a deep breath and yelled, bullets. Over their laughter, I told them, I am choosing to live. Operate on me as if I'm going to live, not die. So let's live each day, choosing, consciously choosing to live God's way. So that one day he can choose to grant us entrance into his kingdom. Choices and consequences. It is really that basic. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.